All right, give it up for my man, John Whitty. This is as close to a talk show host that I'll ever get to be. Give it up. Hey, John, it's so good to see you. When I saw you in the office a couple weeks ago, it was like, oh, it's Whitty Day, and we're all like running and coming to see you. We're so glad that you're here. I know that people have questions, right? They yeah. haven't seen you, and so sometimes people are like, is his health okay? Is everything all right? What's going on? And so why don't you just take a moment to talk about your transition at City yeah. Church and also what City Church has sure, meant to John. you. Well, I, I am healthy, I'm fine. A um, little older than eight months ago. Uh, for those of you who are concerned for that, really, as Brent said, uh, starting the Isteria Project is just a part of the journey of my own life. It was the actual next step for me to take, I think, as I live out my own purpose. Um, you know, the, the nine years that I was here at City Church, really, as Linda and I have looked back over that, John, they were the best years of our life, particularly in terms of ministry. We have a real fun uh, place in our heart for City Church. And so we just stepped away to do this in March uh, with a team uh, who's helping with us today, my partners, Travis and Tina. And so it's been a great, great journey for us. Yeah, we're loving it. Well, that's awesome. It's also really good to have you back. Thank right? you. <laughs> and I'm glad that you're here and you get to share it with us. Yeah. Hey, I know I'm going to let you get to Witty in a minute, okay? Just, get, just give me some time. Now, if I stay up here, I'm going to ask questions all the time, and I'm yeah. just going to learn and ask questions about what you're teaching. So I'll ask one more question, and then I'll go. Yeah. But it's something that a lot of people want to know. Why Isteria? Yeah. What does that even mean? Good. Well, I didn't actually choose the word Isteria. My partner, Travis Pearson, did. Travis will be out on the uh, plaza today. You can meet him. But the word Isteria is the Greek word for story. You can kind of hear we transliterated into history. The word originally meant to give an account and what we do at the Isteria Project is we help you give an account of your own life story in order to figure out two questions, how you got to where you are and how to get your life moving again. We're a counseling and consulting firm, and so we help people do this, only instead of using uh, conceptual theories of psychology, we use the ancient elements of story that are over 2,300 years old in Western culture. And we're just finding that it works so well and it makes our story so clear. And so that's what we're doing. Um, you know, the Isteria Project is really uh, an extension of my own um, life story. It's, um, I've been fortunate to have lived a really good life, but there was a rather significant period in my own life where I felt stuck in life. I didn't know how to get my life moving, and I didn't know why I was doing the things I was doing. There were patterns in my life that I knew weren't good, but I didn't know how to get unstuck. For example, in the 17 years that we lived in East Africa, I moved my family seven times and, you know, I didn't have any idea what it was really doing to them. And to be quite honest with you, I didn't really care at that time. I was mainly moving for my own benefit or so I thought. And so I didn't know why I was doing this. And as I'm working with people in the Isteria Project, counseling them, I'm finding that many of us simply do not know why we are doing the things we're doing. We're stuck. And we don't know why. And for those of us who don't know why we're stuck, life 
can feel a lot like one of these, a Rubik's Cube. Do you remember these things? You know, when, when I was young, I would manipulate this for a little bit, you know, try to sort of figure it out and move it around. And I had absolutely no idea how to solve a Rubik's Cube. So actually, I got pretty bored with it very quickly. Well, there's a reason I couldn't solve it. Google has told us that there are 43 quintillion possible configurations in a Rubik's Cube, which means unless you know exactly what you're doing, you have zero chance of making one of these work. And y'all, I want to suggest that most of us are handling our lives like a Rubik's Cube. We manipulate it a little bit, hoping that maybe something will work, but it's not working. For example, you don't know why you married the person you married. You thought you did when you got married. You thought they were the perfect person, but then you discovered, well, these pe- this person has habits that I detest. They have uh, beliefs that I don't agree with, and they have expectations of you that you're not about to comply with, right? And so your marriage is a Rubik's Cube marriage, and you don't know how to fix it. You don't know how to solve it. Some of you don't know why you keep overspending yourself into debt. You get on your computer, you have your favorite places to shop, you spend a couple of hours there, and then you are so stoked whenever they tell you it'll be delivered tomorrow. Thank you, Amazon, right? Or maybe even it'll be delivered this afternoon. You know, I just can't believe how that makes me feel. I'm so happy, but then a couple of days pass and you're not happy again, and so you gotta spend more money again that you actually don't have to like reclaim that same feeling. It's Rubik's Cube shopping. You don't know why you're doing it, but you're doing it. Some of you don't know why. You can't seem to get connected to God. You have become as religious as you know how to become. You've stopped doing some things that you're pretty sure uh, God probably didn't like that thing I was doing, so you quit doing that. And yet, God still seems distant to you. It's Rubik's Cube religion as you practice random religious routines that still aren't working. And what I've discovered is, as I talk to people, is that most of us, we just want our lives to work. We're tired of the debt. We're tired of fighting with our spouse. We're tired of wasted hours on social media or at some porn site. We're tired of the anger, the loneliness, the drinking, the drugs, the depression, the fake faces that we hide behind. Now, I know some of you are thinking, wow, Witty, you're working with the dregs of society. I don't have any problems. I know, at least outwardly. But you, many, some of you, you don't have any reason to get up every day. Your life's pretty good. It's not falling apart. But there's nothing actually motivating you to live your life and reach your full potential and give your very best. What's up with that? If you've got it all together, why isn't life more exciting? It's the Rubik's Cube. And we're tired of it. And that's what this series is all about. In the next three weeks, I'm going to show you how to get unstuck by solving the Rubik's Cube of your life. 
And there are three steps to do this. And we're just going to go over these every week. Today, we're going to do the first one. And the first one is to discover how you got to where you are. If you're like I was, I had no idea how I had gotten stuck, which meant I had no idea how to get unstuck. And so step one of solving the Rubik's Cube of your life is you have to discover how you got to where you are, how you became the kind of person you are. And I'm going to show you that today. The second step is to move from uh, being dominated by your past. Some of you are so overwhelmed by the pain of your past and the feelings and the hurt that is created in you and even maybe the bitterness that is developing in you that you cannot get over your past. Every day your mind goes back there. Every day you're overwhelmed by it. And this is preventing you from living up to your full potential for the benefit of others. And so in week two, I'm going to help you understand how you can begin to move from uh, your past so that you can go into your future. And then in week three, and the third step, is to thrive by living with purpose. And y'all, you've heard John talk about it. This is a major emphasis here at City Church, and it's one that I affirm. It's absolutely critical that you and I learn how to live with purpose, and I'm going to show you how we find our purpose. We don't just choose one out of thin air. It comes right from the pain of your past in your own story. And so some of you might be thinking, you know, I just can't even imagine that a life like that, I could actually solve the Rubik's Cube of my life. I can't imagine that it's possible. But I want to tell you, I guarantee your life can work. If we believe in a benevolent God who loves us, why would he create us to live lives that don't work? Doesn't make any sense. Your life can work. And in these three weeks, I'm gonna show you how to do it. Now, at the Isteria process, uh, project, we believe that life is a story. And this is a part of the key to what we do. And there's a reason we do that. And so if you can understand how story works, you can actually understand how your life works. And the way we help you understand how story works is we use the 2,300-year-old established science of story that was formalized by a German playwright by the name of Gustav Freytag in 1863. What Freytag did is he took the thinking of Aristotle and Homer about how story works and he formalized it into what is called Freytag's Pyramid. And Freytag's Pyramid looks like this. And some of you are thinking right now, oh my gosh, you mean like this is how I'm going to figure out how my life works? It's not that hard. You were introduced to this in the ninth grade while you were sending notes to that good looking girl or guy. You weren't paying attention. Your English teacher called it the plot line diagram. It's also known as Freytag's Pyramid or the narrative arc. And even though you don't realize it, you use it every day. 
If you're watching TV, if you're watching a movie, if you watched one last night, it was based off Freytag's Pyramid. If you like to read novels, novels are written based off Freytag's Pyramid. In fact, the way I am delivering this talk to you today is based off of Freytag's Pyramid. We use it all the time, even if we're not familiar with it. And Freytag's Pyramid shows us three things about how life works, even if you don't understand it. So let me just show you three keys to how life works, kind of as an overview or a summary. The first is, is that we're born here at equilibrium, and the goal of life is to get to a new equilibrium, a new normal in your life that you live out of and function out of. And that means to get from here to here, your life has to move. So if you're stuck in life, and you know if you are, if you're stuck in life, your life isn't moving. And because it's not moving, it's not working. You got stuck right here over here. I'm gonna show you that in just a second. The second thing that Freytag's Pyramid shows us, that if we start here and we're trying to get to this new equilibrium, this represents growth in your life. You are supposed to grow as a human being. And we're gonna call this growth growing into becoming a hero. Because heroes are what stories are all about, right? Heroes and villains, Batman and Joker. And so we all wanna be Batman, we don't wanna be Joker. If you wanna be Joker, you're dangerous, right? We wanna be Batman, we wanna be the hero of our story. And a hero is a person who gives their life away for the benefit of others, even if it costs them. That's what happened on 9-11. Remember whenever the firefighters in New York City were going up into the Twin Towers while everybody else was trying to get out? They knew they were going to die. They knew they weren't coming out alive. It didn't matter. They were giving their lives away for the benefit of others. Y'all, that's what it means to be a hero. And that's what it means actually to follow Jesus. And so, if you want a, your life to work, you have to grow. But herein lies the problem. Because the third thing that Freytag's Pyramid teaches us is that in order for us to grow, what do we have to go through? We have to go through tension and conflict, and we have to struggle, and we may even have to suffer. And that means you're going to face pain. For you and me to grow, to become the people we were designed to be, for us to grow into a hero, to be like Jesus and to follow him and to live for the benefit of others, a life that others will appreciate and that will benefit them, you and I will have to suffer and face pain. And this is the big problem for all of us. This is why you are stuck. Because none of us like pain, and so we do everything we can to avoid the pain. Now, this is so significant that I want you to turn to your neighbor, someone that you came with today, you're comfortable with them, and I want you to look them right in the eye, and you've been wanting to do this. I want you to tell them, and maybe even point your finger at them, and say, your life is messed up because you're avoiding pain. I want you to say that to right now. Just take the moment. <laughs> wow, you're really enjoying that, aren't you? <laughs> you're messed up. Yeah, y'all, it's true. We're messed up because we're avoiding pain. 
Well, where does that pain come from? This pain is significant. Where does it come from? Freytag's pyramid helps us. It comes from this red mark right here that is called an inciting incident. Everybody has one. You cannot live a life without one. You have had an inciting incident. Normally, this happens to you before you reach maybe 10 years of age. And when it happened to you, and remember, it doesn't take much to, for a, something to be traumatic for a child. When that happens to you, it is traumatic for you, and it normally does two things to you. First of all, it causes you to experience what is called an emotional pain. Usually, that has something to do with not feeling loved, wanted, or accepted. The second thing your inciting incident does to you is it creates in your head a false narrative that is not true, but you come to believe that it's true, and it usually has something to do with either feeling inferior or afraid. And none of us likes this. And so we try to avoid it. And this is how our lives become a Rubik's Cube. Let me show you how it works. I want to tell you a story about a guy I worked with. I'll call him R. When R was seven years old, his mom and dad divorced. And as his dad was telling him that he was leaving and he wouldn't be back, R was hanging on to his dad's leg as his dad drug him along the ground, begging his father not to go. Within just a few days, his mom left him to join the armed forces because now she has to make a living. And so she left him with one of his aunties. And this auntie was a good auntie. And so she put him in school. He was in the second grade. Two days after he joined his new school, his second grade class went on a field trip to the beach. And so that sounds like fun, right? You remember whenever your school did that. Went on a field trip to the beach, but when it was time to round up all the kids and take them back to school, the teachers, because R was so new in school, they didn't know who he was, and R was left behind all alone. For four hours, nobody even realized that R was missing. And he told me, as he thought back at that time in his life, that he thought, I am lost for the rest of my life. I will never be found again. And that was R's inciting incident, those series of events together. And it caused him to feel unloved and unwanted. And R has now spent the rest of his adult life in hundreds of relationships looking for someone who will love him. And he had no idea this was happening. You see, <clears throat> whenever, uh, how you handle your pain how you handle the pain of this inciting incident, it's powerful. It affects the kind of person you become. It explains why you do what you do. And it explains the kind of life you live, whether or not your life works or whether you live a Rubik's Cube life. Let me tell you about a, a lady I'll call D. D came to me and she told me her story. And with D, she had a a sister who was two years older than her. And when her sister was 12 years old, she got pregnant. And this sister was a beautiful sister. Well, their dad was so ashamed of what had happened that he decided to move the family from where they were living to another town a couple of hours away so nobody would know him. 
So Dee and her sister went into their new school. And of course, they're just right in the middle of the semester. Nobody knows who they are. They don't know anything about them. And when it became obvious that Dee's sister was pregnant and she was that young, they just assumed that Dee was like her sister and they labeled her. And the way they labeled her is they took some metal object and they inscribed the word slut on her locker door. Now, can you imagine how painful it was for Dee to go to school every morning and the first thing she sees as she goes to get her books is the word slut written across her locker. Dee hadn't done anything wrong. Dee knew that this wasn't true about her, but it created a false narrative in Dee's head. And for the next 10 years, she told me how she had actually lived down to that title by going from relationship to relationship with men until Dee came to the point in her life where she felt so ashamed of herself, even though she'd done nothing wrong. She felt so ashamed of herself that she felt like no one would ever truly love her. And she was always afraid that if someone did love her, she would lose that person when they found out who she was. And Dee didn't know where that fear came from. It came from her inciting incident. Y'all, all of us, uh, I mean, none of us want to live that way. And so this is the point I'm making that if you and I don't handle this pain well, our life becomes a Rubik's Cube and we get stuck and we can't figure it out. Now, none of us like to be stuck. None of us want to experience that pain. So what we do is we either try to escape it or we try to overcome it. And the way we commonly try to do this is through what we call worst way patterns. And there are three of them that are very common. The first one is addictions. Through addictions, we try to escape our pain. The second one is through multiple relationships. And in multiple relationships, usually we're looking for someone who will love us. And the third one is performance. And through performance, we're trying to prove either to ourselves or to others that we are worth being loved. And we try to overcome the false narrative that is playing in our heads. This explains everything you do. So don't miss what I'm about to show you here. There is a direct connection between your inciting incident and your worst ways. All of us know about our worst ways. I mean, you've been doing it right now. Am I addicted? Have I had multiple relationships? Oh no, am I a performance junkie? You've been thinking that right now while I'm talking. I know you have. So we all know our worst ways, but we've never known why we have them. And you've never known why you can't change even if you want to. And it's because you've never known that your worst ways are actually connected to your inciting incident. And this is why our lives become a Rubik's Cube and we don't know what to do about it. We can't change even if we want to. It explains everything about us. I was working with a guy that I'll call P. P came to see me. He was on the verge of losing his marriage and he was actually the one wanting to walk out. 
And so we tried to unravel this. So as, D, as P began to tell me his story, he grew up in the valley. And his mom and dad were migrant workers, and so they would often have to leave him with his aunts and uncles. And he had one auntie in particular who had a son, and she always told P that he was inferior to her son, who was his cousin. And so P had spent the rest of his life as an adult man trying to prove by working hard that he was not inferior to his cousin, that he was actually better than his cousin. Not only that, the pain that he had felt, he had gone on an 18-year-long partying binge every day. Many days he didn't even know how he got home on an 18-year partying binge to escape the pain that he felt. And this standard that he had set for himself to perform and to work hard, now he had taken that same standard and he was applying it to his wife. He had raised his own expectations for himself to prove he was good enough. And so he had put those same expectations on his wife and his wife couldn't live up to his expectations no matter how hard she tried. She could never do it well enough for P's satisfaction. Not anything in the house. She couldn't do anything to make him happy. And that's why he was getting ready to walk out. And he had no idea why he was so dissatisfied. And it had everything to do with the connection between his inciting incident and his worst ways. Y'all, all of us have worst way patterns because we all are trying to avoid the pain of our past. Some of us are focusing on our addiction. Some of us are focusing on multiple relationships. All of us are focusing on performance to try to prove that we're good enough. And whether this is true for you, whether you appear to have it all together or whether your life is falling apart, but I want you to think about it. Have you ever heard this before? No. This is the first time that you've ever heard your life explained as a story. It's the first time you've ever heard of an inciting incident. It's the first time that anyone has ever connected why you do what you do, your worst ways, to the pain of your inciting incident. And because you haven't known this, your life has become a Rubik's Cube. You don't know why you do what you do. You don't know why you can't change even though you want to. And what this means is, is that you cannot become the hero that you want to be in your own story because you don't know what's holding you back. Is this how you want to live? No. This isn't how any of us want to live. It's how I was living. It's not how any of us want to live. And y'all, this is one of the reasons that God came to this earth as Jesus of Nazareth, to show you and me how to break this cycle. I want to show you just from one verse in the New Testament, one of the most amazing things about Jesus. The Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews wrote this. He said, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering. Now, for the, our purposes today, I mean, there's, a, there's like 10 things I want to say about this verse. 
But I just want today to lift this phrase, perfect through suffering. And so the author of Hebrews reminds us that it's Jesus who is the author of our salvation. And he was made perfect through what? Suffering. Now the word perfect is the Greek word teleao. It literally means to make complete or to reach the end. You could even think of it as living up to your full potential. Perfect. When am I perfect? Whenever you live up to your full potential, you reach the end of who you could possibly be. Then you have become perfect. And Jesus was made perfect through suffering. And that means that only through suffering could Jesus perfectly reach his full potential as the savior of the world. In other words, if Jesus had rejected the suffering of the cross, he never could have been the savior of the world. He never would have been perfect. He never would have lived up to his full potential. And this means that if Jesus had not embraced the cross, his life would have been a Rubik's Cube. No different than you and me. If you run from the pain of your past, your life will not work. Pain is what God uses to grow you to become a hero like Jesus. And that means you have to embrace your pain instead of running from it. And the starting point to doing that is to discover what we're talking about today. To discover how you got to be the way you are and why you have avoided pain. And so here's what I'm asking you to do today. I'm asking you to take a deep look into your own story. Isteria Project, my project, my partners are on the plaza today. You can see them after the service. They're there to help you get signed up and do that. I want you to do that because it's the only way to get unstuck. And there's a reason I want you to do this. I want to introduce you to a guy named Wesley, and I want you to see Wesley do something that I don't think anyone else in the room can do. Go ahead, Wesley. All right, Wesley, you're a stud, dude. Thank you very much, man. Golly. Now, there's a reason I wanted to show that to you. Thank you, Wesley. There's a reason I wanted to show it to you. As I mentioned at the beginning of this talk, my life was stuck. My life was a Rubik's Cube. And eight years ago, on a Friday morning, when I was 52 years old, I'm 60 now, when I was 52 years old, I discovered my inciting incident for the first time in my life. Believe it or not, I sat down at the living room table and I graphed out my story on Freytag's pyramid. And within 10 minutes, I, I remembered that I had been bullied as a six-year-old boy at a kiddie pool. And that event had turned me into a fearful boy. And I had spent my whole life, the next 46 years, running from the fear of my life, and I did not know I was doing it. My life was a Rubik's Cube. In order to compensate for that, 
I had become a performance junkie and a control freak. Just ask Linda, my wife. She can vouch for it. But on that day, when I discovered my inciting incident and what it had done to me, the Rubik's Cube of my life got solved. And so can yours. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about you, but that was like drinking from a fire hose. That was a lot. See, I thought that when I believed in Jesus, my life was just going to get perfect. That's how it works, right? No, that's not how it works. You still have all the pain, right? You still have your worst ways. You have your inciting incident to deal with. And so we're just going to take a moment to pray right now, because as you're processing this, right, as this is coming to you, I don't want you to leave without letting it sink in. It would be very easy to run from our pain in this moment, to run from our trauma, to run from our worst ways, but let's just take a moment to let it sit. Lord, we thank you that you love us, God. We thank you that you came to die for our sins, Father, and did, and then you were resurrected three days later to show that you have power over the grave. We are thankful for eternal life, Father, but we're also thankful that we can thrive in this life. Father, thank you for allowing us to do that, God. And as we sit here, God, as all the details of our life, God, as our stories come back, God, as those painful moments come back, you might have thought of something you haven't thought about in 20 years. God, as those painful things come back, don't let us check out. Don't let us use addictions. Don't let us use multiple relationships. Don't let us use performance, God. Don't let us reject the work that you're doing right now. Help us to confront the story to become the people that you want us to be. In your name, amen.